please stand with us as we read our scripture together. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from John chapter 15, and I will be reading verses 1 through 8. I am the vine, and my father is the vineyard keeper. He removes any of my branches that don't produce fruit, and he trains any branch that produces fruit so that it will produce even more fruit. You are already trimmed because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. A branch cannot produce fruit by itself, but must remain in the vine. Likewise, you cannot produce fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, then you will produce much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown out and dries up. Those branches are gathered up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want and it will be done for you. My father is glorified when you produce much fruit and in this way prove that you are my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So just a little context in where we find ourselves in scripture today. So, so John 15 takes place in a very interesting uh, spot within the scriptures, and, and especially within the, the context of Holy Week. Uh, John chapter 15 takes place in between what we would call the Last Supper, the last Passover that Jesus celebrates with his disciples, and the events that take place in the Garden of Gethsemane. So, so what has immediately happened right before our text today is that Jesus has, has had the Passover with his disciples, and you remember all of that. He gives the, the whole spiel about communion, right? I am the, this is my body, this is my blood. He does all of that. Um, he hands the bread to Judas, who gets up and flees away, and Jesus knows this is the one who is going to betray me. And the other guys are like, does Judas have something to do, prepare for, for this Passover, right? All that stuff. Right? And, and so the, the meal is over, the evening, at least that part of the evening for Jesus and his disciples is drawing to a close. And so Jesus basically says to his disciples at the end of chapter 14, rise, let us be on our way. Right? It seems an innocuous statement, but Jesus is essentially saying, and, and what he knows and they don't yet, is that they are rising and they are going to the place where he will be betrayed, handed over, and ultimately to his death, crucifixion, a couple days later. And so Jesus and his disciples are kind of on their way. They're on their way from wherever that they celebrated the the Passover, the Last Supper meal, um, to the Garden of Gethsemane, right? There's lots of traditional places in Jerusalem where this might have been, but but let's just say it's probably a mile, half mile in between where they're going. So they have to walk there. And so this is kind of Jesus' instructions and is talking to his disciples as they are on their way in between these two places. Jesus invented the walk and talk, let's say. So he gets up and he's on his way with his disciples. And and in my mind, as as Jesus is kind of going down into the Kidron Valley, perhaps, and and over to the the Garden of Gethsemane, he's kind of along his way. And and then they're passing things along the side of the road. Maybe they're passing things like a vineyard. Maybe they pass uh, some palm trees. I'm not sure. But, But in my mind, this is what happens in this text. Right? So Jesus is walking along, and, and he does what, at least what I do when I'm walking along, I tend to like look at the plants around me and feel them because I like plants, I like growing things. And, and so in my mind, Jesus kind of looks at a tree and he plucks off a branch. And he's just sort of looking at it, thinking about it, and then begins to kind of talk to his disciples. Because it spurs something in his mind. 
And he begins to think about, about what it means for his disciples to, to be a part of him, what it, what it means for his disciples to follow him. And, and he's just trying to think of ways. How, how do I get this across to my disciples about their, the, the nature of this relationship that we have together? How do I get this across to my disciples, the nature of, of who they are in me and who they are in God and, and how we interact and, and things go together? And how do, how do I kind of give them a visual that, that surrounds this? Because if you're like me, the idea of discipleship, when you hear that word, it's very nebulous. What does it mean to, to be a disciple of Jesus? Right, Because certainly we don't follow Jesus around Jerusalem and Galilee and Judea. So what does it mean to be Jesus' disciple? And, and in John 17 is a way that, that Jesus really granularly digs down and begins to teach on the nature of what it means to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. And he, and he chooses a metaphor that is very, very familiar to the people of Israel, certainly his disciples. Uh, Wine, grapes, were a major, major export and product of ancient Israel, right? So if you were to name the top two things that ancient Israel produced as far as farming, it was wine and olive oil. In fact, the Garden of Gethsemane is an olive grove where olive oil was produced, and so Jesus is on the way, and so he's beginning to teach. And so, so maybe he sees a, a vineyard, or, or, or he just asks his disciples, you know, picture a vineyard in mind, which is something that they would immediately picture, right? Picture the vineyard that, that is close to your house or that you know about in your mind. And he says, I am the vine. And so immediately comes to mind all of these images that they would have had in their minds about, about, about grapes, about vineyards, and about, about growing things. They would have been familiar with these images. And he says, I'm the vine. And my father is the vine owner. He's the one who owns the land. And he begins to, to dig into this metaphor about what it means to remain. And, and, and he says, my, my father's desire for the, for the vine and, and for this crop is to produce a lot of fruit. And so he does everything necessary to produce fruit in his crops. And so they, they, they know this, right? Um, some of us know this, that sometimes you have to prune in order to get more growth. And so, so Jesus begins to talk about it. He says, my, my father, he takes and he tends the vine. He prunes the vine so that, so that they bear a lot of fruit, right? Any, any, any of the branches that gives a lot of fruit, he carefully tends, he carefully prunes, and he snips and he cuts and he cuts off extra bundles of, of things so that, so that the fruit would be good and would be ripe and it would bear lots and lots and lots of fruit. And so they're there, they're tracking. I imagine the disciples are kind of, yeah, we're nodding along. Okay, I can see God. He's out there, you know, snipping the, snipping the branches, caring for his vine, right? In my mind, there is no more like fastidious um, farmer. And I, this is just my mind. It's not necessarily correct. But in my mind, there's no more fastidious and careful farmer than the, than the vine owner, right? Because grapevines are fastidious. They're just kind of finicky and you have to take care of them. They're like big babies, right? You have to just make sure everything's right and it has to have the right cool and heat and all that sort of stuff it has to write shade and sun. And, and so I can, I can picture this in my mind that, that God is just carefully attending over these, these vines, right? I, I can sort of imagine in my mind, this picture of, of this grand vineyard of, of, of God just kind of walking up and down the roads, making sure that everything is good and right. And, and that the vines are producing the fruit and, and, and carefully snips. He doesn't want to, but you know, God, God prune these things because if I prune this, if I snip here, it'll, it'll make it grow right. And it'll produce a whole bunch of fruit. I, I can just, I imagine all of this in my mind. 
And I suspect this is what Jesus wants, right? He wants us to, to get involved, to kind of get deep into this metaphor and to, and to immerse ourselves in this and say, yeah, I can kind of see God like that, right? That, that God doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't hack and doesn't slash, but, but God tends the vine. And, and sometimes it feels painful when God cuts off a branch, but, but if a branch doesn't bear fruit, then it's not serving the purpose right? And, and, and snipping and cutting. So, so we can see kind of the disciples getting involved in this metaphor. All to the point that Jesus says, right? That, that the desire, the purpose of the cutting and the snipping and the, and the taking off of branches, all is this idea of fruitfulness, of bearing much fruit. Because, right, it is the purpose of a vine to bear fruit. Now, I know, I know there's such a thing as ornamental vines, but even their purpose is to bear fruit that looks good, even if it tastes bad, right? The, the purpose of a fruiting tree is what? To bear fruit. And, and Jesus wants to, he wants to push this in our heads. He wants the disciples to get it, right? The vine of God is not ornamental, It has a purpose. God's desire is that the vine bear much fruit. We'll get into what that fruit is in just a minute, but but there is a purpose behind it. And and so God's purposes and how God interacts with this vine, with Jesus and with the disciples, all is to the purpose and to the point of bearing much and good fruit. God has a purpose. God has a reason. God lovingly cares for this vine for this reason that we, the vine, bears much fruit. So Jesus has this metaphor. Now it's in the heads and and we've got it, right? Yeah, vine, branches. God wants us to bear fruit. God wants the vine to bear fruit. Jesus then kind of gets gets into a little bit. He He says, you, my disciples, have been trimmed already by the words I have spoken to you. Some of your translations, if you read along, would have said cleansed. Um, Cleansed, pruned, these are all kind of the same word in the the original languages, right? So so what Jesus is saying is, guess what? God has already pruned you. God has already trimmed you. God has already been working in and through you that you might bear fruit. And, and, And God has done that because you have been with me, you have heard what I have said, and you have brought into yourselves what I have said. You have taken it to be true right? You are my disciples. You have listened to me. God has pruned you. And the implication is that they are going to, if not already, are bearing much fruit. But Jesus wants also to remind us, however, of the importance of the interrelationship, as any good gardener would know, between the branch and the root and the vine. And Jesus says something that's, that's actually, it seems quite simple and it seems fairly straightforward, right? The branch by itself can do nothing. Now, I'm, I'm enough of this kind of person where I start to think, well, there are plants where if you cut off the branch and plant it, it'll grow. So I'm, I'm going to use a different metaphor in case you're like me and you're just getting caught in the weeds there. Um, Mark, you might, repeat, might like this one. So what I have in my hand is my fly rod. Or one of my fly rods. <laughs> now I'm speaking Mark's language. This is a nice, it's about nine and a half feet long. I think this one's a, it's a six weight, right? 
This is a beautiful, it's got some nice action to it. It's a beautiful rod. I really enjoy this particular piece of fishing equipment. Can I tell you something though? It doesn't catch any fish sitting in my garage. (laughs) Right? This is a beautiful piece of equipment, but on its own, it can do nothing. You want to know how I know it can do nothing on its own? It has sat in my garage for about 10 years and caught how many fish? None. It's a wonderful thing. And it has some, at least aesthetic value on its own. But without the arm of the fisherman, unconnected to that which gives it power and purpose, it can do nothing. Now, I'm not a very good fisherman, so in my hands, this does very little. In Mark's hands or in Ron's hands, and maybe some others of you in here, this could do much. Now, I'm not a good fly fisherman, but I have caught some big fish, right? I I just have to show off a little bit, right? (laughs) Not on this rod, but I did catch that fish on my own. That rod also probably is sitting in my garage and has been sitting in my garage for many years since I was fishing last. It hasn't caught a single fish on its own. Because it's not the rod's purpose to sit in my garage. Nor is it the rod's purpose to catch fish on its own. The rod, in the hands of a master, which I won't claim to be, so I'm going to take the picture off myself, catches fish. It produces fruit, if you will. Apart from the hand of the fisherman, the rod does nothing. And quite frankly, if I'm honest, right now what this rod is good for is pruned out of my garage to make some space, maybe given to someone who could use it and use it well. Right? It's good for nothing. It's graphite, so it won't burn well, but it's firewood, essentially. Because apart from a fisherman, the rod can do nothing. So, so in my mind, this is the kind of thing that Jesus is getting at, right? Think about things in terms of their purpose, of what they're intended to do, and how they are created. This was not created to catch fish without a fisherman. A branch cannot bear fruit without a vine. It doesn't work. The vine is where it gets its nutrients. The vine is where it gets life. And without the vine, the branch can do nothing. I, I cut a branch off of a tree. This is a, this is a plant in my office. Here, I'll, I'll pick it up for those who can't see it. I cut this off, this plant this morning. Now, it's already brown, so you can see how good of gardener I am. But I can guarantee you next week, this will be dead. Right now, it's, it's got some life in it. There's green on it. Next week, what will happen to this? It will die. It will not make another tree. It will not make another fern. It will not be its ornamental beautiful self. It won't be nice, lush green. It'll be brown and dry and crackly and look ugly. Because the branch must be in the vine to have life. And so Jesus wants to remind his disciples of this simple fact. That if he is the vine and they are the branches... In order to maintain and to grow and to bear much fruit, they must, as he says, remain or abide in him. 
If you remain in me, he says, I will remain in you. If you do not remain in me, now this is where we get away from horticulture because obviously branches don't have a choice. Jesus is saying, you're a branch that has a choice. And your choice is to remain in me, to abide in me, to be in me, to get your life from me, or to be separate from me, to, to, to not abide in me, to not remain in my word, to not remain in my love. And if you do so, you will be like a branch that is cut off of a vine. You will dry up, you will die, and you will be, in, this is Jesus' words, good for nothing but the fire. Not because the branch has no inherent value, but because a branch has its purpose in bearing fruit. And if the branch says, I won't be connected to the vine, the branch won't bear fruit, and the branch will die. And so Jesus says, remain in me. He says, if you remain in me, you will produce much fruit. One of the things I love about this particular passage of Scripture and this particular metaphor. Now, metaphors aren't everything, but this is a good one where, where we look at it and Jesus uses the fruit metaphor. Fruit trees don't bear fruit because they decide one day that they want to really concentrate on bearing fruit. I have never seen an apple tree get really concentrating and pop out an apple. It does it because it is in the nature of an apple tree to bear apples. And when the branches are connected to the root and the root is nourished well, and we are nourished well in Christ... The apple tree bears much fruit. Why? Because it remains in the tree. And that is the nature of an apple tree. We don't bear fruit by trying harder. I'm not saying we shouldn't try hard. I'm just saying that's not how we bear fruit. We bear fruit as we remain in the vine. As we remember from where our life comes from. And as we remain in the vine, we not might, not should, not can, but will, Jesus says, bear much fruit. Fruit that will last, he will say. And so he cautions, remain in me, otherwise, brush pile, fire. Because that's what fruit trees that say, I don't want to be fruit trees, end up as. Again, Jesus is saying, if you can decide, remain in me. But if you don't, this is what happens. And again, Jesus isn't being capricious. He doesn't say, well, you need me and all that. He's just saying, you are meant to be connected to the vine. And, and anything that is not used for the purpose that it is created for will ultimately be destroyed. I, I hit a curve with my tire this morning. If I do that very often, because my car's not designed to do that, my car will break, right? Because I'm using it in a way that is not supposed to be used. If I try to use my car as a four-wheeler, I have a Kia Soul, by the way. It's not a four-wheeler. If I try to use it as such, what will happen? It will break. Or if I just leave my car on the side of the road for the next 10 years without ever driving it, it will rust, it will fall apart, and it won't start when I want it to, right? The purpose for which my car was built is to drive. The purpose for which we were created is to be a part of Christ in God. And if we decide not to, 
then that is to deny our purpose, our being, our self, and ultimately to die because he is the source of all life, ours and everyone around us and everything around us as well. Disconnected from God in Christ is death. And so Jesus is just reminding his disciples of this fact and driving home that they're at least number one first or elemental purpose is to remain in him. And if they remain in him, they will bear much fruit. And if they bear much fruit, they will bring glory to God. Our purpose is by bearing fruit to bring glory to the one who calls us, the one who is our our vine owner, so to speak. That is what it means for us to live and to be We are connected that we might bear fruit, that God might be glorified in us. Over the last six weeks, we've been going through this, or five weeks, anyway, we've gone through this series, Why Lent? Why do we we talk about Lent? Why do we, quote unquote, celebrate this season of seven weeks before Easter where where we look deep into ourselves, where we receive ashes on our heads and on Ash Wednesday, where we, where we sometimes deny ourselves and fast? Why do we do this? Well, as we come to kind of the end of that series, as we come to this text, I realize, why do we do this? Well, it's because in Christ and in Christ alone, can we bear fruit? Can we be who we are created to be as humans, as Christians, as whatever else? It is only in him. And as we've gone through these texts, this, this last six weeks, it, it, it's been, we, we, have to, we have to come to the point and we have to really look inside ourselves and say, am I abiding? What am I doing to abide in the branch? What am I doing to abide in the vine? Am I going through my life expecting that I will have life and bear fruit and I'm not even connected in any other way? Do I abide in Christ for without the vine, the branch, can do nothing. For it is only in the vine that I have life. In fact, his life flows through me. So why Lent? Well, let's go back a couple weeks and say, because it is only in Christ and in Christ alone that we can be born anew. There is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. The author of the Acts tells us anyway. In the name of Christ and Christ alone are we born anew. As Jesus says, Nicodemus, you must be born anew. It is only in Christ that we find streams of living water. Water that does not go dry. That nourishes our heart, body, and soul. It is only Jesus who, as he said to the woman at the well, I am the living water. It is only Jesus, and by remaining in him, that we have our blind eyes opened. It is only in Christ, as we remain in the vine, that we can see rightly. Lent reminds us that we are blind and we need him to open our eyes, just like he did for the blind man at the pool of Bethsaida. And of course, I would say it is only in Christ that we find resurrection. For it is by his death and his life that we too 
have hope not just for this life, as Paul says, but on the life to come as well. We celebrate Lent to remember that, it, that, that the life we have does not come from us, but that we have life and resurrection life in Jesus Christ. That, that perhaps, even literally speaking, one day Christ will call us out of the tombs in which we have been laid. And we will raise to new life. And we will meet him in the air with those who still remain and usher him into his kingdom. Why do we celebrate Lent? Because this power is not from us. This power is in Christ and in Christ alone. It is in him alone that we have new life. It is in him alone that we bear much fruit. I know today is Palm Sunday and I know I didn't address that much. But as I was thinking this morning about Palm Sunday and about its connection to maybe what I was talking about today, the thought occurred to me that on Palm Sunday, a bunch of people hailed Jesus as king. That's what it means. If, if, you're, if you're in ancient Israel and, and you want to basically hail someone as king, like a conquering king coming into town, you cut the branch off, you laid it at the king's feet, and you shouted Hosanna, right? Lord, save us, or Lord, you are our salvation, depending on how you translate it. But then the thought occurred to me, excuse me, of how many of those people didn't quite make the leap from hailing Jesus king. Even his disciples had a hard time with it, by the way. This didn't make sense until after he was raised from the dead to them. They didn't make the connection that the same person they hailed as king is the one whom would be crucified not many days after. The palm branch on the ground on Palm Sunday means nothing if we are unwilling to accept the Jesus on Sunday morning, on Easter. The crucified and risen one. Because without him, we can do nothing. Those palm branches ultimately got brown and died and someone cleaned them up and probably burned them from Palm Sunday because they were disconnected. So perhaps it's a way for us to remember that though we ought to and should and will hail him as king today, we must be just as willing to do so and remain in him on Good Friday when the object of our hopes is crucified. And then on Sunday morning, when we shout hallelujah, he is risen and we celebrate. We have to continue to remain in him after next Sunday. For after the victory of Easter, Jesus goes away and says to his disciples, this mess is yours. I'm empowering you to go into it and to make disciples. We cannot produce fruit unless we remain in him, scandal and all. For without him, we can do nothing. If someone ever told you that salvation was one and done, right? You pray to prayer, you're good. Salvation means to remain. For we realize from where our life, our source comes from. We are but branches. And we get our life from the vine. 
And through the life we receive from the vine, we are able to bear much fruit, fruit that will last, fruit that will give glory to God, fruit that shows that when people see it, they, they may wonder why, they may wonder how our system of belief comes, but that, that, that we are people who love deeply, who care greatly, who desire our world to be better in Christ. In us, Christ can bear fruit to the glory of God. But we must remain. It is in Christ alone our hope is found. For without him, we, the branches, can do nothing. So as we go into taking communion together, I want to ask this question. This is a question that I, I, I was on my way to men's breakfast yesterday and I driving down the street and, and it felt like God asked me this question. I said, Mike, what are you doing to remain in me? How, how are you reminding yourself of the need to remain in me? And I, I started to think about it, right? I, I could talk about a whole bunch of practice. I'm a pastor, I'm reading, I'm in the scriptures every day, I'm, I'm preparing sermons and, and that's all good things. But am I doing that consciously to remain in Jesus? I had to ask myself that question. Right? I, I'm doing all these things, but am I allowing the source of those things to come from Jesus and Jesus alone, from the vine? I mean, I'd like to think so. But Jesus had to remind me to look. So, Mike, do you really trust that the source of your whole life comes from me and me alone? Do you really believe that even your best efforts, no matter what they achieve, are nothing if you don't remain in me? And I think as it should, that question sort of stopped me. It didn't literally because I was driving, but it stopped me in my mind as I was, Jesus, what am I doing? And it helped me bring me back and go, I need to remain. And nothing else matters unless unless I remain in him. You all are talented people. You can do a lot of cool things. I know I've seen it. Do a lot of amazing things. And and quite frankly, for a while, we could do a lot of cool things without Jesus. But without Jesus, it won't last. And without Jesus, it does not bring life. In order to do that, we must individually, collectively, remain in him. Why Lent? To remind us that we must remain in him and to encourage us that if we do, we will, not might, not should, not can, but will, he says, bear much fruit, fruit that will last. And so I'd ask you today as we take communion together to to enter into this time with me, asking yourself that same question. Or asking God that question. God, what am I doing? Am I doing my part to remain in you? The branch's only job in this metaphor is to remain, to abide. That's the job of the branch. God will prune. God will trust, God will make sure everything's right, and God in Christ will bear much fruit. Our number one 
or at the very least, our first job is to remain in him. Would you please pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your words and your reminder. Lord, that we are a part of this vine. And Lord, that you have have given us purpose, that you have given us place, Lord, and and that you have called us to be a part of what you are doing in this world. Lord, we didn't choose you. You chose us. And you have chosen us to bear fruit. Lord God, may we remain in you and remain in your love. May we use the only choice we have, and that is whether we remain or not, to choose to be firmly rooted, to firmly planted, firmly attached to you. Not simply because it's the best thing, but because we realize and understand that it's from you and you alone that we have life. For there is no other name under heaven given to us by which we must be saved. You are Jesus Christ, the source of our life and our being. And Lord, we thank you that if we remain in you, in us and through us, you will bear much fruit. Fruit that will last, fruit that will bring glory to God. That others might see, that others might know, that others too might remain firmly attached to the vine. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. The communion supper that we're going to celebrate this morning is instituted by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as a sacrament, which proclaims his life, his suffering, and his sacrificial death, his resurrection, and the hope of his coming again. It shows forth the Lord's death until his return. This supper is a means that God gives grace in which Christ is present by the Spirit of God. It is to be received in reverent appreciation and gratefulness for the work of Jesus in us. All those who are truly repentant, forsaking their sins, and believing in Christ for salvation are invited to participate in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We come to the table that we may be renewed in life and in salvation and be made one by the Spirit. I would add... We come that we might abide. In the unity with the church, we confess the faith that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and that Christ will come again. And so we pray, holy God, we gather at this table in your name. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who by your spirit was anointed to preach the good news to the poor to proclaim release to the captives and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. We remember that Christ healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he ate with sinners, and he established the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. And we live in the hope of his coming again. We are reminded that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup, he gave thanks, he gave it to his disciples and said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.
And so we gather as the body of Christ today to offer ourselves to God in praise and in thanksgiving. Lord, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts. Make them by the power of your spirit be for us, the body of Christ, that we might be for the world, the body of Christ, which is redeemed by his blood. Lord, by your spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world until Christ comes in final victory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now, as the Savior has taught us, let us pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken for you. May it preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take, eat, and receive his grace today. And this is the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ shed for you. May it preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ has died for you and be thankful. Let us pray. We thank you, O Lord, for this gift of life that you have given. We pray, Lord God, you would constantly remind us to remain in you. Or constantly remind us that our source of life is in you. For Lord, you have called us to bear fruit, to live, as you have said, life and life abundantly. But Lord, we come here to confess that that life abundant comes only as we remain in you. So Lord God, your people give you thanks And your people commit to remaining in you that we individually and collectively might bear much fruit to the glory, to the glory of God the Father Almighty. Amen. Amen. As the worship team is going to come back up, we're going to sing a a final song. Um, This song may be new to some of you. I think it's the first time we've, yeah, it's the first time we've sung this uh, in our church congregation. So I understand that it may be new. But I, I would encourage you if, you, if you don't know the song and don't want to sing along, to listen to the words. Uh, words that remind us the good news of the gospel. That we have this blessed assurance that if we remain, that as we remain, that we will find life and life abundant. For Christ has died, Christ has risen, and we proclaim in hope Christ will come again. <laughs>